For whom are we performing? Is our preoccupation with those who are in the front stalls, our family, our friends, our neighbours, the people we might uh, uh, participate in sport with, the people we might meet in the marketplace, the people we work with, the people we may volunteer with, uh, those up close and personal people, are we performing for them? Or do we give any thought to those we cannot see, um, those in the dress circle as it were? We can't see them but they can see us. There, important, powerful people may be sitting. Um, it's jumped ahead for some reason. I'd better go back. I must have touched it by accident. Got to be careful. Um, there, in the dress circles, many important people may be sitting. They can influence our path in eternity. There are at least three great ones who sit there, Father, Son, Spirit. But Life Stage isn't simply about who we're performing for. There's another significant question. Why are we performing? What is our underlying motivation? Are we seeking to impress all the audience with our performance, from front stalls to dress circle? Is our concern to receive the affirmation of others? to find our sense of worth and value from the accolades of our audience? Or is our motivation rather to do justice to the script and design of God? Are we so impressed by the author of the human drama that we want nothing more than that the Lord of life receive all praise and all glory? Well, today's short story reading from Mark 12, 38 to 44, presented Jesus as the great audience of the human drama. And let me quickly add that Jesus is a very scary audience. Throughout his ministry, Jesus demonstrated that he had the capacity of a spiritual MRI, one that we heard of in the Old Testament in 1 Samuel 16, 7, the Lord does not look at things people look at, the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Jesus saw beyond the outward show, the visible performance. He saw beneath to the inner substance, the hidden motivation of the visible performance. And this reality should cause us, don't you think, to tremble just a little? The Lord of glory knows you and I completely. Nothing is hidden. Even now he knows your thoughts, the desires of your heart. He knows right now whether you're here putting on a show so people will think you're religious and a good person or whether you're here because your heart has been strangely warmed by the grace of Christ and you want to come and worship and praise him. Since this is true that Jesus sees to our inner being, it would be wise for us to explore what the Lord commends and what the Lord condemns, what he punishes and what he praises and why he does both of these. So let's turn to this text of Mark 12, 38 to 44 
and see how Jesus answers an important riddle for us. When is a somebody a nobody and a nobody a somebody? Well, the first thing we see in the first paragraph is the outward show, the mask of hypocrisy. As he taught, Jesus said, watch out for the teachers of the law. They like to walk around in flowing robes and be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and have the most important seats in the synagogues and the places of honour at banquets. They devour widows' houses and for a show make lengthy prayers. These men will be punished most severely. It's interesting that in Australia, one of the most common criticisms from those outside the church about those inside the church and of the church itself is that we are hypocrites. That we do not live consistently with the things we claim to believe. The word hypocrisy um, is not found uh, in this text, but clearly it is described. Hypocrisy is a theatre term. Actors wore masks for their characters. Hence, they were playing a role. They were playing a role that wasn't them personally. Underneath, they were a different person than what they were presenting. Notice in this passage that Jesus gives an incredibly strong, but what must have appeared an odd, a strange warning to his temple audience, to stay clear of the teachers of the law. These were the established scripture experts. Uh, These were men that poured over the word of God, learning all its commands and its prohibitions. They worked out how to apply them in the minutiae of daily life. They were skilled in the language and the posture of prayer. Many Jews stood in awe of them. And maybe you stand in awe of Greg and Steve. Maybe not. (laughs) But in Jesus' day, Jews would have thought these teachers of the law were men of outstanding character. But Jesus says, don't give them the time of day. Spiritually speaking, he says they are a waste of space. Why does he do that? Their concern was their own ego, not God's glory. Jesus declares they enjoyed being greeted with respect in the marketplaces. They thought they were religious somebodies. So they wore their distinctive flowing religious garb of office all the time. Who knows, maybe they even wore it to bed. A bit like Greg or I wearing our collars to bed. I can assure you my wife would think it was very strange. (laughs) These men expected the best seats in the temple and the places of honour at parties. So blind to their religious show and lack of integrity, they made a practice of expecting the Jewish widows, to provide them with meals. Widows were already poor and yet they thought they earned the right 
because of their position that the widows should provide them with meals. Hence, Jesus describes them as devouring the widows' houses. Women who had so little already were being drained of even more resources by these men. So Jesus has effectively made public his spiritual MRI of the Jewish teachers' hearts. It's pretty ugly and distasteful. These religious somebodies were seriously out of step with God. Why? They were self-intoxicated. Spiritual pride is like an onion weed of the soul. I don't know whether you have onion weed in this country. Um, It's a nightmare in Australia. It flourishes in good soil. Um, You can't see it when you turn the soil over. It's only when it puts up the shoots, a little green with a little pretty flower and you just break it off but the weed is still there in this bulb which multiplies and multiplies. It's a nightmare. We've seen how the good soil of knowing your Bible, saying your prayers and affirmation can lead to spiritual pride in the religious leaders of Jesus' day. All Christian leaders need to be on their guard against this onion weed of the soul, pride. But we're all vulnerable to spiritual pride, are we not? It can feed on good deeds, disciplined Bible reading, saying our prayers, doing evangelism, visiting the sick, caring for the needy, being on parish or diocesan council, serving in church. This good soil, all things that are worthwhile doing, but their pride can come and develop. The church isn't a mutual appreciation society but a community of forgiven sinners who live by grace and serve in the power of the Spirit to the glory of God and the glory of God alone. A dear friend of mine, Lon Allison, is a fellow member of the Leighton Ford Point Group that uh, was mentioned earlier by Greg. Uh, Lon and I are dear friends. We only see each other once a year, but we communicate sometimes throughout the year. But at the point group, we're great friends. Lon is the fittest member of our group of about 12 people. He can push more weight than any of us. And every year, because he's over 60 now, he has a a fitness test and he also has a special uh, medical checkup, annual checkup. In these last 12 months, his medical checkup found a very aggressive and serious liver cancer that normally is fatal. Here was this fit, healthy body. And he even during treatment, he said he could still push the same welts. He didn't wait. He didn't feel sick at all. But yet internally, there was this deadly cancer We're praising God at the moment that he's gone into partial remission, although there's a long way still to go. How would we feel if Jesus were to materialise this morning? 
If he were to go one by one around this church with his piercing gaze and look into each of our eyes and our hearts and announce the content of my heart and your heart, would we feel a little uncomfortable? Would there be any hypocrisy, any onion weed of the soul, pride, surfacing? Would there be dark spots of our soul? Well, I think Jesus has revealed the first part of our riddle. When is a somebody a nobody? It's when that somebody loves the praises of people more than the praises of God. But what of the second part of our riddle? When is a nobody a somebody? Jesus reveals the answer in the incident with a widow in Mark 12. Here we come to inner substance, the mirror. Of sincerity. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and he watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts. But a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. This is a simply stunning event in Jesus' life. It's a lesson in discipleship. We must commit to memory and allow to shape our life and our financial choices. Mark 12 has demonstrated that Jesus has been in debate with the great religious heavies of his day, the Sadducees of the priestly party, the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, all the great ones in Jewish society, all the great theological minds he's been at debate with and they have all sought to attack him and undermine him. And at the end of this chapter where the great debates have been taking place, Jesus presents us with the true model of spirituality. Jesus turns his spiritual MRI on what in first century Judaism would have been a social nobody. Many Jews in the first century held that poverty was a result of a disobedient life and was a judgment of God not to mention it was a largely misogynist society where women and especially widows were treated with little respect. We find Jesus sitting in the temple court of the women. It was there that the trumpet-shaped treasury chests were found. He observantly watched as people came and deposited their donations for the upkeep of the temple and its ministry. His disciples are present and are no doubt impressed by the many rich dropping in their large amounts. Uh, In my 
early days of ministry, I had a church warden, an elder of the church, who wanted to have a policy with the government that only $100 bills were legal tender on Sundays. He figured it would help the budget a little bit. I'm glad he didn't because Jesus doesn't think like that. Jesus doesn't care about the amount. He cares about the heart that gives the amount. Jesus only calls the disciples over for telling for a telling lesson after the widow has made her tiny contribution. The two small coins she gave amounted to uh, maybe the purchase of a loaf of bread today, but they were all she had to live on. Now, let's be honest. We might think this woman's quite foolish. I mean, the amount of money she's giving, I mean, it's not going to make any difference to the upkeep of St Luke's, is it? It's not going to make any difference to the running of the temple. It's minuscule. And it would at least provide her with another meal. But that's not how Jesus thinks. The gift represented much more when looked at by Jesus' MRI of her heart. Make no mistake, even if she put in one coin, it would have been an extraordinarily generous gift. Yet she put in both coins. With absolute certainty, she would have gone unnoticed and slipped back into the temple crowd if Jesus had not drawn our attention and drawn the spotlight to her. But Jesus wants his disciples then and today to be taught by her. Hers is a gift, an act of deep inner substance, Her heart is a mirror of sincerity, a reflection of a soul, sold out to God. Unlike the teachers of the law from our last paragraph who have their eyes and their ears tuned to the crowds, she has her inner eyes fixed on an undivided devotion to the Lord God. She plays to an audience of one, those in the dress circle. She wanted to honour God with her life. But what can a poor widow contribute in a male-dominated, money-impressed society? Well, says the widow's heart, I can give all I have. Let's read Jesus' divine conclusion about her gift. Truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put more into treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. With this deed, she surrendered her last earthly security to God. She gave the whole of her life into God's hands. It's as though she was saying, Lord, here I am, I'm yours. My life is in your hands. Do with me as you will. And the Lord says to disciples of all nations, here is your pattern of discipleship. Here is a deed which mirrors a heart of substantial spirituality. Here is a child of faith who fulfills the most important command of scripture, only mentioned just a few verses earlier in chapter 12. To love the Lord your God with all your heart 
and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. What a rebuke to us today. We too often measure success by fashionable clothes, owning our own home with with, uh, designer furniture, driving an exclusive car, our sporting prowess, our successful careers, our prosperous children, being popular, our youthful looks, healthy bodies and on the list could go. And Jesus comes along and he flushes these secular values down the proverbial spiritual toilet. That's more of an Australian image than you might be used to having. That's what we're like in the deep south. You see, Jesus measures success by the size of a person's heart, not by the size of their possessions. One commentator on this passage wrote in a telling fashion, In days when Christian churches are dazzled by large incomes and ambitious blueprints, it is well to remember that the Lord measures giving not by what we give, but by what we keep for ourselves. And the widow kept nothing but gave all. And this is what Jesus wants us to copy, to give our whole living. This doesn't mean we give everything to St Luke's. Greg's really sad I said that. (laughs) Not really. What it means is that we make everything available for the Lord's service. Our homes, our cars. You see, this is stewardship Sunday. We are stewards of what the Lord has given us and we get different proportions, different amounts and we need to use all that we have, our gifts, our talents, our testimonies, our time, as well as our treasures to the Lord. Your commitment to provide for St Luke's ministry and material facilities need to be an expression of your hearts, sold out to serve, to honour and to love the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, I think we have an answer to the second part of our riddle. When is a nobody a somebody? Jesus' answer, when they love God above everything and everyone else, including themselves. Sisters and brothers in Christ, today we have been confronted by Jesus' MRI vision. What does Jesus see when he looks at you? What does he see when he looks at me? Does our outward show belie the mask of hypocrisy? Or does our inner substance produce a mirror of sincerity, a life of integrity flowing from our undivided love of God? We have seen two attitudes exposed. Outward show and inner substance or hypocrisy or sincerity. We've observed two activities produced, playing to the crowds, living for God or showing off and surrendering all. We've noted two outcomes which Christ proclaimed, condemnation and commendation. Severe punishment 
or spectacular praise and a pattern for discipleship. William Shakespeare said, all the world's a stage and all the men and women merely players. On the stage of life, who is our audience? For whom are we performing and what motivates us? What will your decision about contributing to the ministry of the gospel reveal about who is your audience today? Are we all sold out for Christ or have we sold our soul to pride? Is there any onion weed in our hearts despite our current appearance of respectability? One thing I'm sure about, there is at least one poor widow who is now surrounded by the riches of glory in eternity and on the place that Jesus prepared for her, on the mantelpiece, there's a divine academy award for she played to an audience of one, the Lord Almighty. She demonstrated that even out of her brokenness and her poverty, that it's possible to be God-honouring, a wonderful pattern and example of faith to others. And that is what she was. Let me challenge us all, as we come forward in a little while, to kneel or stand at the Lord's table, that you recommit ourselves to play an audience, to an audience of one, the triune God, who sits in the dress circle and sees not just our outward performance, but the inner motivation for it. And let us also recall we kneel as we kneel or stand at this table that the Lord Jesus has taught us today that the Lord measures giving not by what we give but by what we keep for ourselves. Jesus gave his all at the cross. Surely we can do no less and give him our all not just on Stewardship Sunday, but every single day of our lives. Amen. Having, having heard the word of God read and proclaimed, let us reaffirm our faith by standing and reciting the Nicene Creed. <clears throat> we believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty.